Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Glad that you chose to uh, join us this morning. And uh, for those of you making your way in, come on in. And uh, we are going to worship the Lord together this morning. That's why we have gathered. And we're going to worship God in, in many ways. In just a moment, I'm going to read from his word. But we're going to worship the Lord through singing songs and through our time of prayer, through our attention and focus on his written word, which always points us to, of course, the living word, Jesus Christ himself. And uh, it is good and it is right to gather together uh, in order to give God uh, all the praise and honor and glory that is due his name. And uh, so we're going to also uh, pray that the Lord continues to bless us. And you know, before our service, a few of us get together that are here early in preparations, and we pray. We always pray that the Lord would remove all obstacles. You know, we're, we're so busy enough, and we can be so distracted enough, each and every one of us. And so we pray that the Holy Spirit, as our leader in all that we do this morning, would just calm our hearts and our minds and remove any distractions and things that we may be thinking about so that we can give him our attention and our focus, uh, for he, of course, is worthy. And so a good way to do that, of course, is to uh, open and listen to the word of God. And so I just want you to listen to these words. Uh, these are found in First Chronicles chapter 16. And uh, these are great words of, of King David of giving thanks uh, as they are worshiping in the temple. And so... Uh, and, you know, these words can be a great encouragement for us this morning. So I just, I just ask that you would listen to these words. Let it be our, as I said, call into worship as they speak of the glory and majesty and splendor and greatness of our God. And so here is the reading, the word of the Lord this morning. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. So splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. So ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. And let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Why don't we stand together and pray, and then we will sing about God's greatness and his majesty, for he is the Lord, 
and he reigns in this place this morning. Father, thank you for gathering us here. We don't believe in any coincidence or happenstance or accident. Lord, you have desired that we put aside this time and gather in this place. Each one is here because you have desired that we would be here. And so, Lord, we trust also that you will um, meet us right where we are. Our desire, Lord, even in our act of giving and worshiping you, Lord, even in that, that you would change us, change us from the inside out, change us that, God, that we would not leave here being the same people we were when we entered. And God, you are in the business of transforming people. And so we want to be transformed and transformed by the renewing of our minds, by the hearing and reading of your word and through the moving power of the Holy Spirit within us. So, Father, as we offer ourselves up to you in worship now by joining our voices and singing these songs together, may you be honored, may you be blessed, and all this splendor and glory we just heard about, Lord, let it all be for you, because you alone are worthy. You alone are worthy. So we praise you now, Lord God, and we praise you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So church, let's worship him together in the name of Jesus.
Savior say, and thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. As Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. 
We praise the Lord. Praise the one. Right? Say good morning to some of you in that name of Jesus. Somebody right next to you, say good morning. The Father's love for us. Praise the Lord. All right, so as we make our way back to our seats, um, it is good to be in this place together this morning. Love that line we kept repeating, right? Praise the one, paid my debt, and raised this life up from the grave, right? Because Scripture teaches us because Jesus Christ is risen and defeated death, that we then have new life in him. New life in this life, spiritually, a new life, and then, of course, the hope of eternal life in him, but all because of Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross, and because he came back to life as he said he would three days later, and we praise him for that. And uh, so we continue in our series this morning, and uh, we'll open the, the, to the Word of God in just a moment, but if you'd like to get a head start, as I make some morning announcements and go through church life, we are still in Second Peter in our series, Following Jesus in a Hostile World, and we are still in chapter 1, okay? So it's Second Peter chapter 1, and it's verses 19 through 21. 
and uh, that'll be our passage for today. So I always encourage you, bring your Bibles. If you, uh, if you don't, there are Bibles here for you as well. It's always uh, good to be able to look at the Word, especially in your own Bible, to see where it is and make notes. And so that is in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. Uh, you know that uh, here at Trinity, we learn, we grow, we serve together. It's how we pursue discipleship. Because being a disciple, is, it simply means being a learner or a follower, but being a disciple of Jesus is what he calls us to, right? And so uh, this year, our theme is that we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as disciples, we are to be growing, growing in those two things in particular as we pay attention to those things uh, this year, that we are growing in grace, our understanding of grace, our practicing of grace, towards others and with each other, and then, of course, knowledge, understanding who God is and gaining that knowledge of our God so that we can then put that knowledge into practice as we live it out every day. Uh, we want to first thank you. Our leadership wants to thank everyone who donated uh, towards uh, donated those items towards uh, Turkey. And if you brought those in today, we thank you for everybody that did that, going down to the the, um, the police station down in Homedale, I believe it is, and they'll be sending out uh, that large shipment this Wednesday. So praise the Lord that we get to be uh, a part of that, that great effort. And I'm still working on a way to, um, to give you that link I had mentioned last time that uh, through a, a dear friend of our daughter's, a, a good connection, um, the, the first link didn't work. And so we're just um, trying to solidify the right link to put up on our website so that you can also donate financially uh, to believers who are on the ground in Turkey, helping those who have suffered uh, from the, the recent earthquakes. And so I will certainly let the church know, send out an email and a text update uh, once that uh, link is live on our website, if you feel um, so led to give towards that. Um, of course, Easter is coming up, Resurrection Sunday, coming up on April 9th, so uh, in about a month, and um, there'll be a, a kids program as well, so we love to, to enjoy you know, seeing the kids and hearing from them. That'll be a part of our uh, Resurrection Sunday morning service, so be thinking and praying now about who you might invite out. Of course, we always get a lot of visitors on Easter Sunday, but uh, that Sunday Resurrection Sunday is a great day uh, to invite friends and family, neighbors, coworkers, people that you've been sharing your faith with. And so I, I would just encourage you to pray about that and think about who you'd want to um, get the word out and invite them. And uh, we'll have our, our Trinity Kids Ministry will be part of that service as well. And then uh, you'll hear more about this this coming week, and we'll send out some, um, some uh, invitations about this and more info. But if you're taking notes, if you want to write down this date, um, Saturday, April 29th, there's going to be a one-day conference here at Trinity. We're bringing in a couple of speakers, a couple of guys that I know that um, we're going to come in and we're going to spend the day on that Saturday focused on learning about the assurance of our faith. And so it'll be a full day Bible study, uh, an immersive time, uh, probably nine to three, nine to four, something like that. But it is on April 29th, that's a Saturday. And uh, these speakers will come in, there'll be two guest speakers and sharing all about from the word of God, how we can really know that we are saved. That's really the title of our conference. Can I really know that I'm saved without a, beyond a shadow of a doubt? And there's a lot of scriptures that tell us that we can. And why is it so important? Because that gives us hope. 
And we don't have to doubt and live in fear as Christians. Like, am I really saved? Did I really do it right? I haven't been to church in a couple of weeks. Maybe I'm not really saved. I don't know. We believe the scriptures give us that full assurance. It is the privilege of every true believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, that we can enjoy that wonderful assurance. And so this actually is, uh, many of you realize this already, but this actually is a hot topic. It's a hot button issue among believers, among Christians in different churches. And so um, it'll be a great time, a great day spent in diving into God's word and hearing from these uh, seasoned teachers about this topic. All right, so you hear more about it. Now we'll create some ways for you to invite some friends that you have in other churches, and of course, it's a great outreach event as well, because the gospel will be presented and shared. But that'll be the full day on Saturday, April 29th, a uh, conference here uh, about um, the assurance of our salvation, all right? We will provide breakfast and provide a lunch, because it's a whole day event here, and uh, there'll be a way to register on our website. It is a free event um, you can, of course, donate if you like, but you don't need to. It's a free event that we're just offering here at Trinity, and so we'd love to get the word out. So be looking for more information this week so we give people plenty of time to prepare and put that day aside and consider if um, they're being led to go to that. So that's Saturday, April 29th. So there's always much more uh, you know, to learn about Trinity, different ways to get involved. So check out our website, trinityallenwood.com. That's also where you can... Uh, live stream our services. If you're away, if you're on vacation, if you're home not feeling well, we say welcome to all of our live stream friends. Those are at home and, and are away. They're uh, joining us today as always. And so if you happen to miss a service, go back to our website, trinityallenwood.com. You can go under sermons and messages and you can see all the past uh, Sunday messages as well. Uh, and um, uh, so make sure you avail yourself of that and find all the other ways to get involved here at Trinity. And so we're going to open our Bibles to 2 Peter 1, 19 through 21. And uh, this passage is a continuation of last week. And if you weren't here, I'll just give you a quick primer on that and where we are in, uh, in Peter's writing. Um, but it talks all about the light of the Word of God in our lives, specifically the words of prophecy, which means those portions of Scripture in particular that tell us about the future. And you know, the Word of God is called in the Psalms and elsewhere, the light to our path, the light to our feet. And light is so important, and it's an important topic in the scriptures, because oftentimes we see this comparison, actually more of a contrast between light and dark. And it goes right along with the contrast of good and evil and life and death. But all throughout the scriptures, there is this picture given to us about light and dark. And you know, it says that in Jesus Christ, we are now people of light, children of light, of that marvelous light, that we were once in darkness, but we are now people and children of light, and therefore we should live accordingly. We're also told that this world, and when the Bible uses that phrase, this world, it means the system of our enemy, the devil, Satan, he is called this system that, and the dominion that he has over this world under God's ultimate sovereignty. But because he wrested away dominion from Adam and Eve, 
right, that we know that uh, he is called the prince and the power of the air, the God of this age, small g, God of this age. And we know, of course, Jesus wins, and that's what we were singing about in the end. But right now, this world is depicted in Scripture as being in darkness. And you remember in Isaiah when it was talking about the birth of the Redeemer, um, the Savior who we know to be Jesus, so many um, hundreds of, of years before Christ's birth. In Isaiah, it talked about how the world that was in darkness had seen a great light. And of course, that light is Jesus Christ. And so we know, of course, the importance of light in our lives. And many of you woke up this morning and said, praise God for the sun. We knew it was there somewhere. We knew it was there, right? And what a great reminder that even with all the dark clouds, the sun is always shining. We might not be able to see it. It's like that in our lives, right? That oftentimes we feel there's heavy clouds and storm clouds in our lives. And we know God is there. We know Jesus is with us, but we just can't see him. So how important is it that we continue to stay in the word because we can trust it for all that we need in life and godliness, Peter says but also to remind us of the power of light over darkness. So we woke up this morning, we saw the beautiful sun. And you know, oftentimes, especially living here at the Jersey Shore, when the weather gets nicer, especially uh, many of us like to go and catch a sunrise. You like to do that? We go and we see the sun coming up over the horizon. And I love that time right before the sunrise, the way that before you can even see the sun itself, it is illuminating the sky and the clouds. And I always hope that there are some clouds in the sky so you can see just the beauty of the characteristics of the sunrise and the, the horizon. And so we see that and there's this great anticipation. And so I think the sunrise is best experienced when you get there in the dark, right? And so you wake up and it's dark and you're half asleep and you go with your coffee, right? You bring your beach chair and you see, and it's dark, but you know it's coming. The light is coming. Because it's a great reminder for us, this wonderful visual and the beauty and splendor of God's creation that he is light and that the light dispels the darkness. So even though you are sitting there and it's cold and it's dark, you can anticipate in just a few moments that light is starting to come. And it overcomes the darkness. And see, so Peter is actually referring to this in our passage today, and I'll read it in just a minute. In 2 Peter 1, verses 19 to 21, because he is talking about the surety of God's word, especially the prophetic word, even in relation to what just happened to him. So this is where the recap comes in. If you didn't join us last week or, or just uh, need a, a refresher, if you remember, Peter, before he starts talking about all of the, the, um, the, the false teachers and how to actually recognize them, we're actually finishing up sort of his introductory comments today. Peter is reminding us of who we are in Christ and who Jesus is. And he actually, last week in verses 16 to 18, he talked about this amazing event that happened to him about 30 years prior to him writing these words. And we know it as the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. So remember, there was that point in time when Jesus, early on, he, what he did early on in, in, in Peter's life, and now he's 30 years older, we see that Jesus takes his three closest friends, the disciples, Peter, James, and John, 
and he invites him up onto a mountain. And he transforms or transfigures himself into his glorified state, right? And he is transformed. And Peter is there experiencing this. And he's writing to his readers saying, you wouldn't even believe what we saw. Remember Peter in his haste, he said to Jesus, Let's make a, let's like let's make some some uh, places to live here. Let's set up some tents and stay here because this is so awesome. We're going to stay here forever, right? Because that's the nature of Peter. So he's recounting that and saying that we got to see a glimpse of Jesus' glory and of the coming kingdom. Because Jesus was in essence reminding the core three: Look, I am the King. And I came to bring the kingdom to my people that was promised to the people of Israel, but they have rejected me, in essence, what Jesus is saying. And they had rejected him. So he did not want his disciples to be dejected. And so he wanted them to know, yes, I am the king and I am the chosen one. And my kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven, but it's going to have to wait a little while because the people have rejected me. So that kingdom is not forgotten and lost. It just has been a bit postponed until he returns. So Peter is trying to encourage his listeners and his readers by saying, you know what? I was there on that Mount of Transfiguration. You've probably heard this story a million times. He's, he's saying to them and He's saying, I was an eyewitness. If you remember, we're talking about the power of eyewitness testimony. So that's what Peter's talking about. But now, Peter says something incredible. He says in our passage today, even better than me seeing Jesus in his glorified state, there's even one better witness to that. That is the word of God. Now, of course, Peter is talking about the Old Testament, the New Testament canon that we have now had not yet been fully written and realized and compiled. So he's specifically talking about the Old Testament. But he's talking about the revealed word of God, which we have now in its completed canon. And he is saying that, you know what? We can trust God's word to us Because the Old Testament prophets, they told us about this coming Messiah, his coming kingdom. And so even though it's not here right now, we have the king, but not his kingdom, we will have it someday soon when the king comes back. So Jesus was encouraging his disciples and Peter, being one of them, is now encouraging us to say Jesus is coming back. You know what? Until then, Realize I was an eyewitness, but even better, we have the written word of God. So let's look at it together. This is, <clears throat> excuse me, Second Peter 1. It's verses 19 to 21. You can see it up on the screen for you. You can turn in your own Bible so you can take some notes. <clears throat> excuse me, remember too that we do have notebooks available to you. So if you'd like to take notes during the series, you can always grab one of these at our Connection Center on the way in. Uh, that's always uh, handy as well. But here is what it says in Second Peter 1, verses 19 through 21. Peter says, again, after having talked about the transfiguration experience and him being an eyewitness, he now says this, So, we have the prophetic word 
made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy has ever, was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. That's our passage for today. So what is Peter trying to tell us? We're going to unpack this. There's just four basic things that we want to look at today to make sure, one, that we are reading and interpreting this properly, and two, then, from that, that we have the, the right application. How, what does it mean for us? You know, it's important that we, we learn in God's Word and we grow, but then there's this idea of so what? So what does it mean to us? What do we do with this profound truth? So first, he says, so we have the prophetic word made more sure. So he was talking about being an eyewitness to the transfiguration of Christ, but now he says, you know what? We have the prophetic word, the written word, he's referring to the Old Testament books, and the prophet's words about what would be coming in the future. Did you know that just about a third of the Bible when it was written, was prophecy, meaning about a third of all of the scriptures, the time it was written was about something yet future. And about half of that has already been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so we have still so much, about 15, 16% or so of the Bible is still prophetic words yet to be fulfilled because Jesus has not yet come back. In all of his promises that he has made, he needs to keep because he is a promise keeper. So, of course, we want to give heed and attention to the prophetic word because it takes up so much of the scriptures, it must be important. So, Peter is saying, so, I was an eyewitness, but you know what? We have the prophetic word made more sure. It's like even more important. And I saw Jesus Christ. It was a testimony to his power. He is the living word. So we have the revealed word that God has given us so we can pay attention to that and we can have hope and surety that we know and live by the truth. So it's the prophetic word specifically here in the context of this passage about this future kingdom. Right? Because Peter's saying, look, the king has come. His kingdom's not here yet. But he wanted to ensure and encourage his readers, who were mostly all Hebrew Christians, so they understood the Old Testament. They would have understood what he was talking about. They are now believers in Jesus Christ, but they were all born and raised on the word of God, the Old Testament. So they would understand, wait, the kingdom, right? There was always what the, the Hebrews were thinking about. Where's the kingdom? Where's the kingdom? Jesus. Here's the king. Where's the kingdom? Is it going to be now? You remember the disciples would ask him that? Like, who's going to be greatest in the kingdom? Peter's like, me, it's going to be me, right? That's what the way they were, because they wanted to be part of that kingdom and all that the prophetic word described it to be. So we already know we have the word of God, and Peter is saying it is more sure than even the eyewitness that he was to the transfiguration. But he says then, to which you do well to pay attention. So he's saying, look, be in the word. I mean, how many times we say it, right? How do we grow as Christians? We read the word and we pray. 
like the two greatest tools we have as Christians. And so the question is like, how are we doing with that church? If we're to be growing disciples, are we in God's word regularly? And are we praying regularly so that we are uh, taking advantage of the tools that we have to grow as followers of Christ? So Peter's even saying, you have the word. Maybe you weren't there to see the transfiguration. There was only three of us, right? But he's saying even more important, something we all have is the written word of God. But pay attention to it because it has told us what to expect, you see? He's saying the prophetic word, we know what to expect. It's like when Jesus talks to the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, over and over, and he tells them, like, you should know about these things, right? You should have known these things. You're a leader. He would tell them, you're a leader of the Jewish people. You know the Old Testament backwards and forwards, and, and yet you didn't recognize that I am the one that is coming. There was all these prophetic words about me as the Redeemer, and I have fulfilled all of them. And yet they still did not see and still did not believe. Psalm 119, 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. A very famous scripture, Psalm 119, 105. The word of God is like a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So Peter says, probably thinking of this psalm, which he would have known very well, he says, you have to pay attention to the words of prophecy because it is like a lamp shining in a dark place. So we need the light in the dark place. It's like that sun rising up on the horizon to overcome the darkness of the night to that sun illuminating everything that is around us, the stuff that you couldn't see in the dark. God raises his sun each and every day, and we are then able to see what is around us. And so it is like that with the word of God. And so therefore the word gives us hope, like when the sun rises, we have this beautiful hope of a new day. When we got up this morning and saw the sun, thank you Lord for a little more vitamin D that we need today, right? But we see this beautiful connection with Jesus because Jesus himself is the word of God. You remember how the gospel of John opens? I'll just read it to you, listen. The Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, remember we're talking about Jesus, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Jesus Christ is our light. He is our son, S-O-N. So Peter is simply saying, pay attention to the words of Scripture that talk about Jesus, especially in his coming kingdom. He was saying, Jesus, remember a few verses earlier, he said, the return of Jesus is sure. He's reminding them, have hope, have hope, because Jesus is coming back. But now he's saying, pay attention to it. What does that mean for us? We are to read it, to memorize it, to study it, to meditate on it, to think about it, to listen to it. Peter says, especially those words regarding the return of Jesus and his kingdom. See, this world is a dark place, the Bible reminds us, and so we probably don't need reminding of that, do we? 
but yet we realize we need the light. Just like we have the light, this world around us needs the light. People are still in darkness and they don't even know it because it's only God through Jesus Christ who can reveal, right? Who can remove the veil, scripture tells us, so that they can then see. Those who were once lost can be found. Those who were once blind can now see. And only the light of Jesus Christ can do that, for he is the light. The word is a light for us, a revelation. And through the Holy Spirit, this truth is illuminated to us, which means it is brightened and it is lit up. Ephesians 1 says it this way, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. There's the word knowledge again that Peter uses. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be illuminated so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance uh, among the saints. That's Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, saying the same thing. He's like, I just want your eyes and your heart to be illuminated, and they're only going to be illuminated by Jesus Christ, but it's through his spirit that we have a spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him so that we can be enlightened. Second Timothy says it this way, Second Timothy 3, all scripture is God-breathed or breathed out or inspired. We talk about the inspiration of the word of God. This is where it comes from. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in all righteousness that the people of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Do we think that the Bible is good for us? Absolutely. And Peter is saying, we have this sure footed foundation, and we have the right eyes to see the hope that we have of the future because not only of his experience of the transfiguration, but more importantly, because of the word of God. So in 2 Timothy 3, it says all scripture is breathed out. You think of other times in the Bible when God breathed out and the significance of that? Do you remember in creation? I mean, God created the heavens and the earth, wow, by his very word. Let there be light. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God spoke it into existence. Isn't that amazing? By the very word of God. How about when he created Adam, the very first human being, right? From the dust of the earth, he breathed into his nostrils, breathed into his face. We don't like people breathing into our faces, do we? God breathed into the face of Adam, but it says he breathed life into him. God did it with his very breath because God creates with his very words. So when we hear 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, all scripture is breathed out by God, which means, of course, we know people wrote the Bible, men wrote the Bible, Peter actually wrote the words, but we call that inspiration, right? God didn't just move his hand blindly. He inspired Peter. So even in the writers of Scripture, like, we have their personality in there. Peter's a different writer than, than Luke, who wrote Acts in the Gospel of Luke, than Matthew, right? Or than John or, or Paul. See, 
different writers, di- different personalities, different traits. We see these nuances and these differences in their writings, but yet it is all inspired of God because God, through his Holy Spirit, breathed out his word using these men to write these words. Amazing. But again, why it is that we can trust God's word that we have still to this day that God has preserved through the millennia for us. So he breathed it out. See, Peter is saying, look, the transfiguration, it was bright and it was glorious. Never seen anything like it. And and it it illuminated Christ and, and the fact that he would be in glory and one day we would be there and and his kingdom will be like that one day. Peter is saying, even greater, we have his written word, the ones we should already know. So he's saying, pay attention to the word, because it's like a lamp lighting your way in this dark and hopeless world. It brings light and it brings hope. And then he says this, do that until. So there will be a time when we don't need to read God's word any longer, you know that? When Christ returns for us, he says, until, this is the way he says it. It's really beautiful. Instead of just saying, until Christ comes back, he says, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. How beautiful and poetic is that, right? But he's talking about the return of Jesus. So he says, until the day dawns, often when it says the day, it talks about elsewhere in scripture, it refers to the return of the king, the return of Jesus. So the day, until the day dawns, again, beautiful language about light, What happens when the day dawns, when you see the sunrise, the day dawns, and we see it's a brand new day, everything is illuminated. He says, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. In Revelation, Jesus Christ is called that morning star. So Peter knew. Peter knew. And he calls Jesus the morning star. Again, look at the the imagery, right? The day dawns morning star what happens in the morning the sun rises he's trying to give his readers hope and he says until that day pay attention to the word but when jesus comes back we're going to have the actual word with us we won't even need the bible his words will always remain we won't even need to be reading it because we will be in his presence hallelujah for that right so he says until that day Keep paying attention to it because it's going to light your way in this dark world. But until that day dawns and Jesus Christ, the morning star, arises in your hearts that day, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. When that day happens, after terrible, terrible tribulation, the Bible describes, in Revelation we see that Jesus Christ returns, every knee will bow, All will believe, and Jesus will establish his kingdom. So he says, until then, just stay in the word. Realize it tells us about the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we can have hope. And then verses 20 and 21. But he says, know this first of all. Again, he's trying to keep their attention. He says, know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, what he was just referring to, no prophecy of Scripture becomes a matter of someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, 
but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So why does he do this? Why does he take uh, a few words? He takes a moment to sort of just qualify what he was just saying. He could have just ended with this beautiful poetic phrase, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts, because he wants to be clear. Remember the context. Whenever you read the Bible, you want to keep it in context. Remember what Peter is writing this whole letter for? To refute false teachers. There were false teachers arising in the church. So we know from last week's passage in 16 to 18, he's talking about these false teachers. They're just making up stories. And they're myths, right? And he's saying, that's not like what we have with God. Because I saw Jesus in, the, in, in his glorified state, and we have the very w- written word of God. It's not made up stories. It is the very word of God. So, then, so that's why he wants to clarify. He does that in these last two verses. He goes, know this, no prophecy. Remember, he was talking about prophecy earlier, prophetic word. No prophecy of scripture, anything about the future. It doesn't become a matter of someone's own interpretation. Like, you don't just make it up. These aren't just made up words. These were written by men, but inspired by God. So he said, so know this, no prophecy of Scripture becomes a matter of someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. It's not man-made or made up by people, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. There he's talking about the inspiration of the written word. So, of course, again, in his context, the Old Testament, he's telling his readers, most of whom were Hebrew Christians, he's like, you know the word. You know Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You know the wisdom literature. You know the prophets and the law. You know it all. You've been taught it from an early age. But now you know Jesus, the true word. He says, but all of the scriptures were telling us about him. So remain hopeful. Don't listen to the false teachers. Stay focused on what we know about Jesus who is prophesied as coming. Because this isn't made up stuff like these false teachers that are among you now. Saying stick to what you know is true. Because this is authentic. And this is your authority. So until that day dawns. When Jesus Christ returns and every knee will bow, stay focused on the word of God. He says, we need to refute these false teachers, so stay focused on what we already know to be true. It is from God. It's his very word. It was breathed out. God spoke through these men who wrote these words so it can be trusted. We have 66 books in the Bible, an Old and New Testament, yet one cohesive story. Forty authors most of whom didn't even know each other, written over about 1,500-year time span, written in different environments by people from different walks of life. There's history, poetry, law. There's biography. There's prophecy. But one harmonious message. There is a kingdom that was lost in the garden. That kingdom is coming back again. The king has come. The people have rejected their king, but he is coming back. So Peter's saying, stay true to that word. Hold on to that. Hold on to the word of God. Because a correct view of the word leads to a correct view of the word, Jesus Christ. We can't truly know our God and our Savior if we do not know the word of God.
a correct view of the word leads to and an understanding of a hope for the future. So the word of God written is what we have now is more sure than even what Peter witnessed. It's unbelievable. You know, our experiences, and this is important, our experiences as Christians is really important. The experiences that we have with God, the way that the Spirit moves in us is very important. But make no mistake, the very Word of God is our authority. It's a very slippery slope when we start trusting in our experiences above the Word of God. Because yes, we experience God, but we know part of that is our emotions, it's our minds that are not yet perfected, and so therefore we have to trust what we know to be absolute truth, that is the very word of God. Our experiences in our Christian life are important, it's how we connect with God, but his word is the true authority. Therefore, church, a great reminder and challenge for this morning is anything you experience in your Christian life. Is it from God? Is it not? Test it against the scriptures because that is what we trust. That is our authority. Amen? Right? So, it's very powerful for Peter to say these things because he just was talking about how he had a glimpse of the glory of God. But he's saying, be in the word, trust it until that day comes when Christ comes back. You know, uh, earlier in the book, in Second Peter, he says this, so just a reminder, grace and peace be mul- multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. He's saying we have the word of God and it's all that we need pertaining to life and godliness. Peter's telling us this morning that we can trust the revelation of God, his very word, and not those just of mere men who turn out to be false teachers. We have the authority, and you know what's beautiful? We can all open this word ourselves. We can all open it and look at it together. And through his spirit, God illuminates this truth, but this is what we are to trust and to stick to because we have an authority, an absolute authority, revealing an absolute truth. So therefore, we are to focus on truth, pay attention to it, because it brings us hope. So as we close out our time, we are going to gather around the Lord's table. This is that time that we call communion. Uh, We do that once a month here at Trinity. Usually it's on the first Sunday of the month. And we do so because, first and foremost, it's a command of the Lord Jesus And the night before he was betrayed, he gathered with a group of his most trusted friends, disciples, and he spent the last Passover meal with them. They did something miraculous, and he instituted a new covenant that night. And he spoke to them, and it was his last opportunity to really teach them before he was to be betrayed and go to the cross and die on our behalf. But he says we are to remember what he has done for us. We are to remember, so he says, to do these things that we are about to do in remembrance of him. Remembering him because of why he came, of what his purpose and mission was. See, he was born to die and to die for us, right? To take upon himself 
our sin, my sin and yours, the sin of the world, which he did voluntarily and willingly. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, he says that Christ humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, we are to glorify him. And so that's an important part of what we do together as a church on a regular basis, remembering what Christ has done for us on the cross, remembering that it cost him everything, his very life. But for us, it is a free gift. If you're joining us today and you do not yet know Jesus Christ as your Savior, today is the day. We know the Word tells us that simply by believing, believing that Jesus is who he says he is, the very Son of God, God himself, and that he did what he said he was going to do, that he would die on the cross, taking upon himself the sins of the world, and that he would come back to life, literally three days later, to defeat death. If we believe in Jesus Christ, who he is and what he did, but that he did it for us, to cover our sin, to reconcile us to God, the Bible says you will be saved. No amount of good works could ever save us. Paul makes that clear in Romans and elsewhere, that all of our works are like nothing when it comes to salvation. That Jesus Christ accomplished all that was necessary on the cross of Calvary, that we might be offered the free gift of salvation. And it is a gift offered to us by God through his son, Jesus Christ, and his sacrifice for us to simply receive by faith. It tells us in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace we have been saved, because grace means it's God's work, not ours. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that is our receiving and believing, and not by our works, so that none of us can boast, because we had nothing to do with it. Christ did it all. We simply said yes and believe. If you have not yet uh, done that, I encourage you to do that today. For Jesus Christ himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way to be reconciled to God and have the assurance of eternal life and the salvation of your sin than through Jesus Christ. It's through him and him alone. That is the gospel that we believe here at Trinity. That is the gospel that we live out, and that is the gospel that we're thankful for. And that is the gospel that we proclaim to our friends and neighbors and the world around us. And that is why we do what we are about to do. It says in the word, Paul tells us about what happened that night before Jesus was betrayed. He says, I receive from the Lord, which I also am delivering to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night When he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. So do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, also after supper, he took the cup, and he said these words, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. So do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Church, that's what we're going to do now. And so what I encourage you to do is to just take a few moments of personal reflection. Paul goes on to say in that same passage that we are to examine ourselves. Examine ourselves so that when we take the bread and we take the cup, remembering the sacrifice of Jesus, that we do so in a worthy manner. means that we are asking for forgiveness where we need forgiveness, that we are offering repentance up to God. If we have 
um, something between us and a brother or sister that we are to ask God to forgive us, that we are to take communion with the right heart. And so let's do that, church. Let us take a moment or two as you hear the music play, allow it to just kind of set your, your mind right and put out all the distractions and spend a few minutes with God, with your God, reflecting on your relationship with him. And if you do not yet have one, I encourage you to take this time to pray. To pray to God, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So church, let's do that now. And then after a time, what I would encourage you to do is, whenever the Lord leads, after you've had your time of reflection, you can get up and come either to the front to take a cup and a piece of bread, or you can go to the back there by the doors and you can take a bread and a piece of cup and return to your seat. And once everybody has had their time of reflection and um, has, has received the, the elements and back to your seat, then I will lead us to conclude our service through the taking of the bread and the cup. Right? Take your time with that and do that as the Lord leads. So let's look to the Lord now in a time of meditation.
if you have not yet gone up to get the cup and the bread, feel free to do that at any time. But let's take these elements together because Jesus told us we are to do this whenever we get together in remembrance of him. So we just spent a few moments remembering Jesus, speaking with our Savior. So let's do what he's told us to do. Because on that night before he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it and he passed it around. He gave thanks for it to the Father. And he told his followers that this was his body, it represented his body, that we are to take and eat in remembrance of his sacrifice for us. So let's do that now. Let's take and eat together in remembrance of Jesus. In the same way, he gave thanks for the bread after the meal. Gave thanks for the cup. And he said that this cup represented a new covenant in his blood. This cup represents the shed blood of Jesus Christ. For the word tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So Jesus needed to go to the cross to give himself up, to willingly shed his blood on our behalf for the forgiveness of our sins. So let's take and drink in remembrance of him. Would you now stand? We're going to close our service together by singing and worship, and then I will close us with a benediction prayer. Let's sing together.
Lord. Thank you. Let's pray. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ever ask or think. To him be power and glory and majesty and splendor forever and forever. Amen and amen. Thanks for joining us for worship today. Please remember that we have our time of fellowship lunch. Everybody is welcome. I just ask that um, you give our team a few minutes to bring out the soup and the sandwiches. So enjoy some fellowship until the food is ready. Thank you.